This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. And the most important news right now is uh, Puppy Alert. We had a puppy alert here just a moment ago. Uh, Claudette, oh my goodness gracious, what does that do to you? It it melts me, and I can see why people have, you know, animals go around like at stressful times, because it's just pure love, right? Oh my goodness, everybody from the newsroom, the newsroom just got emptied, and you were out in the hallway. Uh, One of our um, co-workers here just brought in a brand new little puppy. It's only about that big. And it's so funny because he just got a puppy um, a day ago and realized that the puppy was lonely for his <gasps> brother. So we said, I got to get the brother. Oh, no. I so, missed that part of yes, the story. Yes. Oh, so, so it's a family reunion. reunion. Yeah. Oh, my goodness Doesn't get better gracious. than that, does it? Well, <laughs> you know, it makes you wonder, you know, do I have enough animals? <laughs> yeah, know, right? <laughs> My husband would say, yes, we have yes, enough animals. Leave it alone, Linda. Leave it alone. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was a, a, a wonderful little distraction. And I have to say, they do have an, a, a very positive effect, don't they? Because, I, I mean, the smiles going around here just moments ago. I Melted. mean, everybody's spirits were immediately lifted by that little tiny Well, the province's crab fishery, as you know, remains at a standstill, and the opposition is accusing the Premier of inaction in getting the lucrative industry off the ground this season. Opposition leader David Brazel asked Premier Fury whether he is willing to sit on the sidelines and wait for rural Newfoundland and Labrador to disappear. Well, here's a little bit of that exchange in the House of Assembly just moments ago. Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Speaker, there's a fire brewing in the fishery. The lobster and crab fisheries remain at a standstill, and the Premier has been absent on the fishery altogether. Premier, are you just going to sit there and wait for rural Newfoundland and Labrador to disappear? The Honourable the Premier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Of course, as the Honourable Member knows, we've been quite engaged with respect to the fishery. The Minister of Fisheries have been talking to both parties daily, Mr. Speaker. Uh, as the member opposite knows, we can't control the market forces, but we can try to encourage groups to come together for resolution, which is the tack that we have taken, Mr. Speaker. And I'm, as I understand it, Mr. Speaker, the lobster has been resolved, and we're hopeful that crab will as well. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Mr. Speaker, this is too valuable of an asset to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, all parts of Newfoundland and Labrador, to just, to, just to be dismissed and not seen as an important uh, as asset to the people. Sure. Speaker, young people who work in the fishery are already looking to other provinces work just to keep afloat. Premier, what do you say to the boatloads of young people who are planning to leave our province? The Honourable, the Premier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Of course, we recognize the value of this fishery to this province, Mr. Speaker. I'm, sh- I'm sure every single person sitting here recognizes the value historically and currently, Mr. Speaker, of the, spe- of the fishery to the people of this province, Mr. Speaker. To the people who are leaving, Mr. Speaker, I'm not, sh- the, I'm not sure if the member opposite knows, the population in Newfoundland and Labrador has increased, and I'm happy to say that we would support anyone who wants to stay here to partake in our valuable fishery as any other industry, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable the Leader of the Official Opposition. Unfortunately, our skilled fishers are leaving Newfoundland and Labrador because there isn't an agreement here to promote and flourish the fishing industry in this province by that administration. Speaker, it's a fishery fiasco. Did the Premier's friend, Dominic LeBlanc, provide any assurance on behalf of the Prime Minister regarding support for rural Newfoundland and Labrador 
during the current fishery crisis? Or is it still the case that he wishes to remove uh, the lifeline of rural Newfoundland Labrador similar to when he attempted to wipe out the Arctic surf clam quota from Grand Bank in 2017 while serving as minister? The Honourable the Premier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Blast, blast from the past there, uh, I'm sure. But and once again, uh, we, uh, we can talk about the past, cucumbers, muskrat. We can go on and on about things from the other side, Mr. Speaker. Order, please. What, what is certain is that that surf clam decision was not a provincial decision, as they know, Mr. Speaker. Order, please. The Honourable Premier. Is that unlike the topics that we have brought up, which were exclusively in provincial domain, Mr. Speaker, surf clams was not ever in the provincial domain, Mr. Speaker. It was a federal domain issue, Mr. Speaker. I will say that today the minister was here today to ensure that there is proper transportation across across this province, Mr. Speaker, so that when that valuable product comes out of the fish plants, Mr. Speaker, it's able to be transported across the province and around the world so that we can recognize the true True value for everybody in this province, Mr. Speaker. So that's an exchange between uh, opposition leader David Brazel and Premier Fury on the crab fishery and whether or not any assistance is going to be provided there to get that industry underway. Um, and uh, the Premier ended off by talking about transportation. Um, and on that note, the opposition is accusing government of turning its back on the people of Newfoundland and Labrador following word that Marine Atlantic is once again raising its rates through a fuel surcharge that's increased from 13 to 17 percent. Opposition leader David Brazel questioned Premier Andrew Fury in the House of Assembly following today's visit to the province by Federal Intergovernmental Affairs and Infrastructure Minister Dominic LeBlanc. Unbelievable. A province that touts, is touted for its tourism is turning its back on its people that live here and want to come here. Premier, did Dominic LeBlanc provide any reassurance on behalf of the Prime Minister for those who rely on Marine Atlantic? The Honourable the Premier. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Unlike the previous administration, when they went to Ottawa, the people in Ottawa do take our calls, Mr. Speaker. And I'm happy to say that when I phoned the Minister of Transportation this weekend, Mr. Speaker, I expressed my extreme frustration and disappointment with respect to Green Atlantic, Mr. Speaker. This is not only an extension of the highway for people of this province, Mr. Speaker, it's an essential service. And frankly, it's not fair when you look at how this is being applied across the country with respect to the Confederation Bridge, Mr. Speaker. I assure you, he heard loud and clear from me this weekend, Mr. Speaker. The Honourable Leader of the Official Opposition. Mr. Speaker, it's good to have a conversation, but action is what people in Newfoundland and Labrador need here. And we haven't seen it from either side. Order, please. Ferry rate increases, fishery turmoil, and the carbon tax, all thanks to the Liberals provincially and federally. People in Roar, Newfoundland, and Labrador already paid through the roof for gas, groceries, and home heating fuel. A classic example of reactive versus proactive. The Premier only picks up the phone once there's a headline. When will the pro provincial Liberals work with their cousins to ensure that they stop increasing the cost of living on Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. The Honourable the Premier. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm happy to say that we have worked with our federal cousins, as he suggested, uh, to address the cost of living in this province, Mr. Speaker, by assuring that electricity rates don't double because of a project that they launched, Mr. Speaker. They, if we had to continue with Muskrat Falls, Mr. Speaker, double, Mr. Speaker, double, two times, Mr. Speaker, is what we would end up paying. But because of our relationship with Ottawa, Mr. Speaker, we were able to fix, fix, fix the mistakes of the past, Mr. Speaker.
the Honorable, the Honorable, Honorable Leader, Official Opposition. Thank you, we couldn't even get back, the Liberals couldn't get back the money that the federal Liberals have up there belonging to us, and I say us, the people of Newfoundland Library, the Hibernia dividends that they gained up there. That's all we're asking back, our fair share, and they couldn't negotiate that property there. Speaker, there's a fire brewing in the... Oh, sorry. Sorry, Speaker. <laughs> got, got me excited. You got me so excited because I also wanted to mention about all the things you're doing for cost of living, the carbon tax, the gas tax, the sugar tax, and now the marine Atlantic tax. These are the things they're doing from their friends in Ottawa. A 4% increase on fury rates will also impact the cost of food and other goods on our shelves. The Liberals keep saying that they aren't responsible for the rising cost of living. But just like the carbon tax, it will result in people paying more. Will the Premier finally admit that people are paying more because of his failure to stand up to Ottawa? Here, here. The Honourable Minister of Tourism, Culture, Arts and Recreation. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And I can assure the member opposite that our conversations with the Federal Government of Marine Atlantic date back a long ways before last week, Mr. Speaker. It was back in December, I think, when my colleague, the Minister of Energy, actually was in Ottawa and met with the Federal Transportation Minister as, uh, and made sure that we seen, as this was coming, that we would make sure that they would not do what they did, Mr. Speaker. That's why that we wrote uh, the Federal Department of transportation back, I think it was in December, outlining our concerns around marine Atlantic increases, Mr. Speaker, because for the tourism industry is extremely important and is also extremely important for every other Newfoundlander and Labrador, Mr. Spe and Dorian. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So there you go, a little bit of the uh, theatre of debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon on two very important issues, the crab fishery and uh, what's happening, or more importantly, not happening there, and um, the increase in marine Atlantic rates. If you have anything to say on either marine Atlantic rates or the state of the crab fishery, give us a call. Coming up, a West Coast family frustrated with a lack of support to get their eight-year-old son to school. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And we're back. Um, well, a highly cop couple is distressed and looking for help in getting their eight-year-old autistic son to school. Ashton Pierce requires a student assistant to accompany him on the 50-kilometer bus ride to school in Deer Lake, but the family says the service is, is inconsistent and their son is hasn't attended classes in weeks because there is no student assistant available. Well, Ashton's dad, Chris Pierce, joins me now. Well, Chris Pierce, your son Ashton is eight years old, but you're having difficulties getting him to school. Tell us what's happening. Well, he's, uh, he needs student assistance on the bus. And we live approximately 50 kilometers away. And now last year we had troubles with it, but God love her, Mrs. Pelly, his former principal, she went tooth and nail for him. And she told me last year that the next two years following, he would have student assistance in place. But now this is the third week that he's been home because there isn't a student assistant for him in the evening. And he's missed many days in between there as well because of this problem. So why does he require a student assistant on the bus? He's autistic. And a student assistant would just attend to his needs and make sure he's okay and all that stuff. Uh, well, he's not much to attend to. He's the sweetest boy in the world. But just to make sure that he don't get out of his seat and that he has a seat belt buckled and everything, things of that nature, right? 
And so it's difficult for him to travel that uh, distance without someone there to keep an eye on him, I suppose, and help him out. Yes, he's not allowed on the bus unless he has a student assistant. So how much school has he missed as a result? Well, this is the third week in a row now, and I'd say he's after missing, well, there for a while it would be twice a week, and then it just increased from then, ever since the new year started, I guess. So what's the problem here? Why is it so difficult to get a student assistant? Uh, I have no idea. The last I heard, the vice principal called me there last week and told me that, well, said that uh, I would have to come pick up my son in the evening. Now, not only was my son not in school at the time, but I have no vehicle and it's 50 kilometers away. It's it's very difficult for me to be able to go and get him after I send him. And I understand he's been sent home, is that correct? Uh, Yes, he's home now because, well, I, I can't afford to bring him back and forth to school myself. So what's the solution here? What needs to happen? Well, he needs a student assistant, a permanent, or he needs to have someone to bring him to the school when we leave him and someone to come back on the bus with him in the evening. That's what I think needs to happen. And how long is that bus trip? Well, it's only about 50 kilometers, but it takes an hour. He leaves school at 3 and he don't get home till 4. Yeah, so he definitely needs uh, somebody there with him. Yes, for sure. And what kind of response are you getting from, I don't know, your MHA? Or or you say the school is working hard on it. Uh, What about from the government side of things? Well, I seen them last year and they told me, I went to my MHA's office and they told me there was nothing that they could do that it wasn't already being done. And how's he doing now? Well, he's, every day he spends in school, I can see progress with him. But now he's just at a state that he's not advancing. But when he's in school, day for day, you can see him learning and blossoming and becoming his own person. So it's heartbreaking for you to watch him sitting at home and, I guess, watching TV or, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, it's very distressing. And he really enjoys school. Chris Pierce, I'm glad you told us your story. Uh, do keep us up to date on any progress, if any's made, will you? Well, thank you for hearing my story, because I'm trying to get it out there as much as I can, just trying to get help for him. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for your time. And Chris Pierce is the father of eight-year-old Ashton Pierce, uh, who is autistic and requires a student assistant to accompany him on the 50-kilometer bus ride to school and back uh, between Howley and Deer Lake. And, of course, he, he goes to Elwood Elementary in Deer Lake. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. We've asked the school district for a uh, response to that situation, and we're hoping to hear back from them in the not-too-distant future. Now, in the meantime, construction on a new Canada Games track field surf, uh, surf, mm, turf and center of excellence in the capital city will begin immediately now that the construction has been awarded to Lindsay Construction. The contract, sorry, has been awarded to Lindsay Construction. The project includes a Class 2 IAAF 8-lane 400-meter track, an outdoor throwing area for field events, 
events um, and a FIFA quality pro soccer turf. It's all in preparation, of course, for the 2025 Canada Summer Games. The announcement was made this morning in St. John's. Here's Mayor Danny Breen speaking with VOCM's Brian Medore. Mayor Danny Breen, just sum up the new facility, track and field. Yeah, so the new facility has a uh, uh, has a, a FIFA uh, regulation uh, soccer soccer field, uh, turf soccer field, uh, and uh, a track uh, with a grass a natural turf in their inner field with uh, with seating area that uh, is partially enclosed with a, with a roof. And then there's a center of excellence building that also includes a, a 50 meter uh, warm-up track for track and field. And just uh, can you kind of detail the financial information? I think you said St. John's puts up 11 million. Yeah, so we're we're uh, participating at 11.6 million dollars. It's roughly about a 32 million dollar project, 33. Uh, so the federal government and the provincial government are also contributing. Where will the exactly go, say, in relation to the old track that was there? So uh, if, if you look at the, uh, the new soccer pitch, will go roughly where the old track was. The new track will go on sort of an angle going from behind CBC, uh, St. Andrew's School, out to PWC School. And uh, then the Center of Excellence building uh, goes in the other corner, so it overlooks both fields. Do you, you mentioned, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you mentioned that they said they're ready to start, start construction right away? Yeah, so we're, we're, they're ready to go. Uh, everything's in place. There's been a lot of test work done, so you can see construction starting there uh, very, very soon. Well, that's a lot of facilities in that one area. How is parking shaping up? Well, you know, the university uh, uh, has parking there. Uh, it's also on the uh, on the bus route. Um, so uh, we, we think that the parking can be accommodated there. And does it encroach on the on the uh, soccer field by PwC? Does it go that far back? Yeah, so there is some uh, some impact there, but so that's why we work with the Eastern School District and with the University, because the Eastern School District uh, uh, will have access to the field as well. As well, we understand that there's uh, uh, there's going to be some public access, public access available to the field as well. Who's actually going to own the facility? So, at the uh, the plan is right now is that is that uh, once it's constructed, will be transferred to the university, and the university would operate the facility. It'll become the home to the uh, Mon Track and Field and to the Seahawks soccer uh, soccer teams. So. A similar administrative situation as the uh, Aquarium? Yeah, so it, it will become uh, part of the university uh, properties. So you were up there speaking with some of the athletes after you unveiled it, talking about some of the potential even having rugby or other sports there. So what are you hearing from these folks and how uh, excited are they? You know, they're really excited. Not, not only the Summer Games athletes, uh, but the athletes with, with Mon, with the Seahawks. Uh, you know, they, uh, we have very good soccer teams that, uh, that compete very well. Uh, regionally in the AUAA or Atlantic Sport, I think it's called, um, and you know to do that on their own campus, and they, that would encourage more fans because there'd be more students that would attend the game. So it's a it's a great for the community and uh, just a complex that we were was a piece of that recreation infrastructure we were missing, um, and uh, this addresses that need. It's a great legacy project for the 2025 games. And there you
you have it. Uh, $32 million uh, for this facility. Uh, Canada Games track field turf and center of excellence uh, that will be located in the capital city and will be uh, administered by MUN once the Canada Games are over in 2025. And uh, work on that uh, facility is going to begin uh, immediately. So we, uh, anybody traveling in that area or who, who has somebody going to MUN, you're going to notice an awful lot of activity coming up there in the uh, coming days, weeks, and months. Uh, so it sounds like a fairly substantive uh, piece of work there. Um, do we currently have uh, a running track? I don't think we do. Um, Claudette, I'm trying to think of one. Uh, just the one over at Mon. Right. On That's the, the only one that I can yeah, think of. Yeah, but we don't have inside. like an outdoor big... Yeah, not that I know of. No, I Although can't that's at the very first telly, they had it outside, I believe, or they had it on a track, but I'm not sure where it was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe somebody can stand to correct me on that. But uh, anyway, uh, that kind of infrastructure, always uh, good. Um, if anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, coming up, May is Melanoma Awareness Month, and we'll be speaking with a survivor. This is News Talk on Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Thanks a lot, uh, Claudette and Noah. Well, uh, it's hard to tell now looking across Kenmount Road here, but spring is upon us. Are you feeling it? (laughs) Well, this is how much I'm feeling it. I went for a bike ride on the weekend with a ski mask on. (laughs) Right? It was so cold, but I loved it, right? It's so nice to just be able to be outside. There are signs like the sounds of birds and that kind of thing, but still cold. Mostly gulls and crows, but... (laughs) Yes, if you want to get into the (laughs) nitty-gritty. Well, um, believe it or not, it is spring, and uh, May is Melanoma Awareness Month as we think about the summer sun coming our way well my guest now is Bev, Bev Barber of the Melanoma Network of Canada well okay. hello Bev Barber hi Linda thank you so much for taking my call I really appreciate it well no problem so May is Melanoma Awareness Month and of course the sun isn't shining in the St. John's area right now but you can still get access to those uh, UV rays and uh, they can damage the skin what what kind of an impact does does uh, the UV have on uh, on our skin it is, and it's very interesting that you opened it with that remark. As we look out now, we wouldn't normally think that there was UV rays um, getting to our skin, but uh, today, actually, there's a level four. There's um, an index of a UV level four, which means it's at a moderate scale. So if you look at the uh, levels of how they work, um, there's uh, they go from zero to two, which is low, then three to five, which is moderate, and again, we're at a four today. Uh, six to seven is high, and eight to ten is very high. And we do see the extreme now. Um, in the past few years, um, our UV index have, has gone to 11, and uh, those effects are having um, some detrimental effects on our skin for sure. The um, there's two kinds of rays in those in that sun. You have the UVA and the UVB. The UVB is normally what causes the sun, the skin to burn, um, but they are getting to our skin, which um, means that we need to get a broad spectrum sunscreen on, on there. 
um, that will cover both of these rays and protect us. And you don't need to burn for this damage to occur, is that correct? Absolutely. So any type of discoloration into your skin, the cells are being affected. And any any change uh, of color will indeed um, be damaging. And of course, we think of melanoma and uh, skin cancers, and we primarily think of fair-skinned people, but uh, people of all color ranges can, can be affected by melanoma. It does. Um, there's no limitations. It affects every rate of age, race, color. Um, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult in uh, colored people to see the actual um, moles, um, whereas people would normally look then um, under the nails, uh, that sort of thing. So there are, are ways to um, to spot the note to any kind of changes or discoloration in the skin. Now, you know of what you speak. Uh, you were diagnosed with uh, melanoma. Uh, how did you find out? So, Linda, I had a very small mole um, in 2019 on the, the lateral portion of my knee. Very, very small. Um, I, I didn't feel right about it, so I got it checked. We had it removed, and it did come back positive for melanoma, which I was... Um, completely taken by shock the um i thought at that point that you know we just remove the mole and that was it i had no idea how quickly melanoma spread how it um you know went to uh, organs that sort of thing um at that point i had um a couple of surgeries had the melanoma removed and um uh, lymph nodes in my groin. So thankfully, it hadn't spread to any um, any of the organs. However, since our last talk um, from my walk last year, um, I the melanoma returned. Um, unfortunately, it's um, it was diagnosed as recurring uh, malignant melanoma um, through some scans and stuff like that. Um, it was. Um, melanoma detected in lymph nodes. So I did have the surgeries again, uh, very evasive surgeries um, with, again, the, the lymph nodes removed. And I'm currently receiving treatment uh, for that. But very hopeful that, um, you know, I, I feel very hopeful that it's going to be a positive outcome from it. It's just the, the whole journey of it uh, just... It, gives me more importance, more of a, a drive to educate people on prevention and early detection of this deadly cancer. Well, that's what I was going to say. This is what makes you so passionate about prevention and early detection and getting that word out. Absolutely. So when I get somebody, um, first of all, when May comes around, the anxiety kind of can, you know, be risen uh, because I am facing it and I am... Uh, advocating for it. It just brings it to the forefront that much more. However, when I hear one person say, wow, I didn't know that, or I'm going to try this, that's what makes it so meaningful. And my whole um, drive to do something, you know, uh, makes it worthwhile for that. So so the big uh, event that you're planning for is Strides for Melanoma, and that's taking place May 28th. Tell us a little bit about it. 
That's correct. So for the past four years, um, we've hosted uh, the Strides for Melanoma. It's a five-kilometer walk. It's it's being held on the southern shore on the old Willis Bay line. Um, we will walk five kilometers, 2.5 kilometers in the old Whitless Bay line and back, where we'll gather for some fundraising efforts. We'll have some guest speakers, some food and entertainment. Um, we get some uh, information out there again, um, some little gifts of sunscreens and that for people, that sort of thing. Um, we've This is our fourth year so far we've raised um 18,000 plus dollars that has uh, supported melanoma canada an organization linda that has been amazing for me and for other newfoundlanders as they um have provided different um online um support groups uh, i just recently attended one via um zoom with uh, some uh, dermatologists just helping us through dealing with the whole um, melanoma journey. Um, there's also now there's um, a mole mobile that will be going to every province, and Newfoundland will be participating in that as well. So it it'll be available to people who have a long wait time for dermatologists. This mobile will start in Ontario. It's actually being launched tomorrow in Dundas Square. So um, over the next five years, every province will have um, that mobile in their province, which is quite um, quite a good thing for, for those of us having to wait for any dermatologists. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. A mobile. So will be people be able to get their moles checked and that sort of thing there? Exactly. So that's the purpose of it. Um, there's um, there's lots of information on the melanoma site, the melanoma network site, regarding that mobile. And as as the time gets closer, I will certainly uh, be updating people as to when we can expect that mobile to be um, to be in Newfoundland for for um, for people to access. Great. So the Strides for Melanoma taking place uh, May 28th. Bring your uh, wide-brimmed hats and your parasols and your long sleeve shirts. Absolutely. And I'll have lots of sunshade uh, available here, uh, sunscreens. Um, make sure you have your glasses on and uh, come for a good time. Excellent. And to register again? So you can, uh, people can actually go to Melanoma Network dot aka raisin dot com or um i can be also contacted at bevbarber at icloud.com and um we'll get you the information and uh we would love love to see you there bev barber i really appreciate your time all the best to you now thank you so much linda Bev Barber, Barber, sorry, is with the Melanoma Network of Canada. Their strides for melanoma is taking place on May 28th. Well, coming up, a major infrastructure announcement uh, was made this morning that affects a number of areas across the island. This is News Talk on VOCM. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And 
And we're back on uh, News Talk. Well, twinning of a portion of the Trans-Canada Highway in central Newfoundland and a portion beyond Whitburn, uh, in including passing lanes near Portabasque, are part of more than $306 million uh, in joint infrastructure funding that was announced this morning. Approximately 15 kilometers of the Trans-Canada Highway between Bishop's Falls and Grand Falls-Windsor will be twinned, as well as another 40 kilometers west of Whitburn. 15 kilometers of passing lanes will also be added along the first 30 kilometers uh, as you leave Portabasque, allowing for more efficient traffic flow during peak ferry traffic periods. Well, today's announcement did not include funding for completion of the Team Guju extension. It did come with a commitment that the road will be finished. Well, here are Premier Andrew Fury and Federal Infrastructure Minister Dominic LeBlanc from this morning's announcement. So today, I am very happy on behalf of the Government of Canada to announce that we are investing up to 153 million federal dollars to expand and enhance the Trans-Canada Highway here in Newfoundland and Labrador. As well as this very significant investment in the Trans-Canada Highway system, and my colleagues will have more to say on the details of these investments. I'm also very happy to say that our government is partnering with the province of Newfoundland and Labrador and is committed to the completion of the Team Gushu Highway here in the province as well. As our country continues to grow, we need to make sure that infrastructure investments meet the needs of our communities. And your province of Newfoundland and Labrador is indeed a growing province. It's growing economically, it's growing in terms of population, it's an economic engine for Atlantic Canada and the whole country, and these investments are important to ensure that the future prosperity of our country can begin here on the East Coast in Newfoundland and Labrador. Today's announcement with respect to the Trans-Canada Highway will twin sections of the highway in Newfoundland's Avalon and Central regions, making it safer and more reliable for commuters. These improvements will make it easier for people and goods to travel between communities, including from Whitburn to Little Harbour East, where the highway will be widened to four lanes. This funding will also support the installation of new and higher capacity interchanges and culverts as well. Once completed, these changes will enhance year-round transportation connections, improve traffic flow, and make the Trans-Canada Highway more resilient to climate change and extreme weather events. The Premier and I were speaking earlier this morning and uh, discussing and remembering those images following Hurricane Fiona and other extreme weather events in your province. I think all Canadians were struck in terms of the vulnerability of coastal communities, of your capital city, to these extreme weather events. So today's investment is very much part of building up the resiliency uh, in, uh, in your province and across the country. So uh, that's the good news that Seamus and Joanne and I and our colleagues from Newfoundland and Labrador have this morning. Uh, but I'll conclude by saying this. This announcement and the hundreds of millions of dollars that the Government of Canada has invested and will continue to invest in infrastructure projects big and small in your province is very much because of the uh, extraordinary collaboration 
that we've had as a national government from the government of Premier Fury and his colleagues here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, as an Atlantic Canadian, I've been uh, admiring the economic success of your province. Uh, the government uh, of Newfoundland and Labrador under Premier Fury's leadership has very much driven this conversation nationally in a very constructive way. And when the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister and the Health Minister and I talked about a national health accord, for example, that multi-billion dollar 10-year initiative would not have been possible but for the leadership of your Premier in Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's only one example of how your province and Premier Fury have contributed to a national conversation and national results that will benefit not only the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, but we think Canadians for years to come. It's a great day for everyone here in Newfoundland and Labrador. An announcement like this first happened, believe it or not, in the 1980s. And I can remember as a boy the backhoes and the trucks uh, starting, the twinning of the highway coming out of the old Kim Mount Road overpass and heading, heading west. But one, and that struck me, that memory strikes me because one of the benefits of an announcement like today is that you can actually see the changes. Lots of times we talk about changes in policy and you can't actually, there's nothing tactile, you can't feel it, you can't actually see it. But an announcement like today will enable all of you to see the physical changes in the development of the economy firsthand in Newfoundland and Labrador. They will start soon and it will have an immediate impact. This is the embodiment of our province's current momentum, building, moving forward, progressing towards a newer Newfoundland and Labrador. It also demonstrates our desire to always act on the safety of our people and advancing, reinforcing, and improving our infrastructure for a modern province that will meet the needs of a modern global economy. There's more traffic now than ever before on the roads of Newfoundland and Labrador, whether that's for shipping or the commerce of business at work in our beautiful province. Our tourists are heading out to explore a place that is on so many bucket lists. Busier roads are a sign of a bustling economy. And that's a great indicator of the bounce back that we've had here in our province. Moving out of the pandemic that had a, such a profound impact on all of us. Moving away from the bleak economic forecast that had this place all but written off. Moving, my friends, together closer to a brighter future that we've all worked so hard for. And that everyone in this province deserves. Once again, our partners in Ottawa have demonstrated their belief in the future of Newfoundland and Labrador. This is once again a testament to working together. This is not just an investment in this place. It is much, much more. It is Ottawa again standing with us side by side, hands on, helping us push and further build on the new momentum of a new Newfoundland and Labrador. Twinning the Trans-Canada Highway past Whitburn and between Bishop's Falls and Grand Falls, Windsor, is the next step realized in the original plan. And more steps will be taken in the future. But today, today is a big step. 
of finally completing the Team Guzhu Highway to better connect points between St. John's and Mount Pearl will be, mean a new day for Canada's oldest city. Together, this represents an over 365 joint, million, joint investment in the future of our province. And these announcements are in addition to the investments we brought forward as a part of Budget 2023, including an investment in the highway on the West Coast, 15-kilometer extension of the passing lane east of Porta Basque, bringing it to a total of 30 kilometers in total as new goods and services, new tourists and people coming home can drive safe, more safely as they enter our beautiful province. So there you go. A major announcement this morning uh, from the provincial and federal governments, uh, and both of whom are touting their close association and uh, relationship there and making this happen. But uh, uh, a couple of um, changes coming. Uh, 15 kilometers of the Trans-Canada Highway between Bishops Falls and Grand Falls, Windsor will be twinned, as well as another 40 kilometers west of Whitburn and 15 kilometers of passing lanes will be added along the first 30 kilometers leaving Port Basque. Well, I've often thought, you know, driving across the island, especially when you're on the the um, divided highway here um, on the Avalon Peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, how nice it would be to have that divided highway right across the province. You know, I, I know that this is like, you know, an, an ultimate dream that pro- perhaps will never be able to happen, but I would like to see any highway that's over 90 kilometers an hour twin just for safety. I mean, even I, I, I think it won't happen because of money, but the, I take the peacekeeper's way. You know, and also the outer, you know, well, just there's just so many areas in the province, I feel, that could deal with that. But again, money, money, money. Yeah. Veterans Memorial, Peacekeeper's Way. Yeah, there's quite a few because of the I just think one family, you know, one accident is too many. Yeah, and it's human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people drive at different speeds. Yeah, and we're all supposed to be abiding by the um, posted speed limit, but not everybody does. Uh, whether it's too low or too high, and uh, people get impatient, and what happens then? Yeah, maybe we do need more public awareness, obviously, to just drive how you're supposed to drive according to the conditions. And one thing I know I'd like to see. (laughs) Yes, Linda. Here we go. Here's our wish list for today. Yes, what is that? Lighting. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Is that, that's what I was wondering. Is that a cost measure? How often are half the lights out in in places? Seems like every second or every third. Most highways have no lighting. And I've, you know, I don't even think about it until friends from the mainland come down and And say. And they're surprised. My goodness, it's some, some dark. dark. <laughs> <laughs> Make no wonder so many moose accidents. Uh, you can't yeah. see anything, especially yeah. if it's that little bit of drizzle and the pavement is black and you can't see the lines on the road because they're after fading. Oh, my goodness, I could go on and on. Yes, but, I, you know, <laughs> again, we, we don't have unlimited money. So. No, we don't. And we have a huge geography in Newfoundland and Labrador. Right. We haven't even talked about Labrador yet. <laughs> we haven't even touched on Labrador yet. Uh, so they're be supposed to be doing this feasibility study for the north coast of Labrador to connect communities along the north coast mm-hmm. to the rest of Labrador and what that will look like uh, and whether or not it's feasible and how much that will cost and what will cost to maintain that kind of um, infrastructure over that huge, because we've 
know, yes, I can't even fathom it's the, huge. the geography. The there. geography mm-hmm. is huge. So uh, you know, it's all grist for the mill, as they say. But anyway, there we have it. So I mean, we most of us travel, uh, and we all have our complaints i suppose when it comes to um traveling in newfoundland and labrador and i'd like to hear from people and maybe not today now because the show is now over but uh perhaps in the days to come uh so i want to thank everybody for listening this afternoon Uh, it's been a pleasure we'll be back tomorrow of course for another edition of news talk uh we're up to news time now with noah shepherd for the uh, news of the day uh thanks for listening everyone